Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. So grateful today for the written word of God, what's written down here in uh, the Bible. I tend to uh, read to you out of the NIV on Sunday mornings. A lot of times I read out of the NLT during the week. Uh, I'm so grateful that the word of God is living and breathing. Now, the word of God, it does not change. But it does change us the more of, uh, more of it that we put inside of us. Whenever I set out to study or to write a message uh, for a Sunday or a Wednesday, I can say that each time I discover new things. And I ask God, Lord, even if this is a passage I've read 100, 200 times, Lord, would you just reveal to me something new in here? And God does. He reveals new truths to me, things I had not seen before. And I try to be intentional about learning something new. Uh, even if it's one I've spoken on before. Uh, every once in a while, though, I sit down and I study a passage, and it takes me just plain in a different direction than I thought it was going to take me. That's what I mean when I say the Word of God is alive. I really believe that God reveals different things uh, to us, different truth to us, depending on where our heart is at that moment, the stage of life that we all happen to be in. That's what I've been going through this week as I've studied and prepared this message that we're doing today, seven loaves and a few fish. Starting with the fact that I was, I mean, I was planning to only do every, uh, you know, event we talk about from the life of Jesus. I was planning one week for all of them. This one's going to be two. We're going to pick it up again in two weeks because I have a specific message for next week as we commission Pastor Joey and Katie. But uh, what we're really talking about today is what happens to us as humans. Uh, we have an opinion that we have formed on something. And it may even be a very well-studied and a very well-informed opinion. But it turns out there's much more to the story, to the situation than we knew. Even if it is something that we knew quite a lot about already. Uh, it's kind of like when we see a person on TV or you see them on the internet more likely these days. Or maybe we know of them. And we see the most well-known parts, or maybe just the parts they're willing to put out there in public, and we form an opinion based on what we've heard or what we've seen. I remember the very first time, this will resonate with you if you're from Idaho probably, I remember the very first time I saw Kellen Moore in person. (laughs) You're going to see my son, John. He's got a football player costume tonight. Uh, He lowered his shoulder and ran his brother over last night, so we had to put it away for a little while. (laughs) Um. I remember the first time I saw Kellen Moore in person. Now, I knew a lot about Boise State. I was going to games way, you know, a long time ago when they were one double A with my dad. And uh, I had heard about this guy, Kellen Moore, because I listened to the radio, right? And I heard them talk about this recruit, and he was from Prosser, and he was a four-star. I heard all this stuff, right? And my wife, Shonda, we were not married yet. She, had, she might not remember this. She might have blocked it out. I don't know. But she had visited from Seattle. And I talked her into going to the spring game with me. If you've ever been at spring game, the weather is pretty much always bad. <laughs> it's not that exciting. Um, and I talked her into going. She, now that's, that's the kind of thing you do before you're married. We have not been since we've been married. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I take the boys with me. But I talked her into going to the spring game. And I was really excited to see this guy that was this hot new recruit, right? He was a true freshman. I knew he probably wasn't going to play. And I was waiting for the end of the game. And I probably told her this. And pre- she probably has blocked it out. <laughs> Um, but the guy came in, and I had heard about this amazing recruit. He came in, and I'll tell you what, he was small. He was super slow. (laughs) 
and his arm did not look that strong. And somehow the ball got to where it was supposed to go all the time, and everyone looked bigger than him. And I was like, this is the guy? Right, and then the next year is when he started, and we started seeing interviews, and you started to hear about how he studied more than anyone and how he embraced being small. He, like, used it as something to motivate him his entire life. I'd heard all about him on the radio. I think I even heard an interview with him. But, you know, until I saw him in person, like, I had formed this opinion that wasn't actually true. I was expecting some big, strong, quick guy. Turns out there was a lot happening underneath the pads, and if you ever see him now, there's a lot happening inside his mind because he's a coach. And that's where we are with this story today uh, from the New Testament we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at Mark 8, if you want to have your Bible ready. You may have seen the title of the message on the sign out there or on your little uh, handout. And you may have thought, that's weird. I think he's talking about the, the feeding of the 5,000, but seven loaves and a few fish. I thought it was five loaves and two fish. And you'd be right about the feeding of the 5,000 that is in all four Gospels, but this morning we're talking about feeding of the 4,000 that is recorded only in Matthew and Mark. I would guess that many of you knew that it was in there, but it is the less well-known of the events. You may have thought one of a couple of things about the feeding of the 4,000. One, you may have thought that it's a retelling of the same event. It's just a different number Scott written down. You know, people have a different kind of day. They wrote a different kind of number down. Or you may have thought it was such an awesome miracle that Jesus just thought he should do it more than once. Man, that was amazing. I'm going to carbon copy that thing. After all, right, he healed the blind more than once, healed the lame more than once, all kinds of things. Why not feed the multitudes from just a few scraps more than one time? But I felt really drawn to this passage this week, and what I discovered is that even though there are similarities that I mostly already knew, what happens during the feeding of the 4,000 has a meaning and this impact that is distinctly different from the feeding of the 5,000, and that the heart of the disciples of his 12 closest friends plays a key part in both miracles. For as long as I can remember, since I was a kid in church, I've known about the five loaves and the two fish, but because it's not as well known... Not as much about the time a little bit later when it was the seven loaves and a few fish. So this morning, friends, let's read together before we jump into this. Mark chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 10. Reading to you, like I said, out of the NIV today. It says this, During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and, and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had, given, when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Damuntha. Sounds familiar, right? But what we see this morning about this incident with the 4,000 people and the seven loaves and a few fish is, number one, those that were the closest to Jesus still had much to learn. Throughout this account of the feeding of the 4,000, which is in Mark, and there's also this version, there's also a version in Matthew that's very similar. 
a lot of what we learn about it through it comes from recognizing what is similar and what is different from the more well-known uh, feeding of the 5,000. But mostly, I would say what we learn from what is different. And there are people who have argued, uh, especially a long time ago before our history was as good and geography was not as good, there's people that would and have argued that they're the exact same event with some details that got confused between the two. But there's a lot of evidence to refute that, and we'll go through a little bit of that today. Uh, a couple of the biggest pieces are, two, are some numbers, two sets of numbers that we already referenced. One of them, different amounts of people, 5,000 versus 4,000. That's quite the, the copying error, right? And also the, the different amount of food that were available, five loaves and two fish versus seven loaves and a few fish. That was a mistake they probably wouldn't have made. Those are big differences that make it pretty obvious we're dealing with different events here. But one of the other massive differences is what it shows us about what the disciples still had to learn. And it even tips us off that these guys, the 12 closest friends of Jesus, uh, even though they were walking with Jesus day after day, there was heart change that needed to occur with the disciples even, they were, even though they were with Jesus on earth each day. To understand that diff- the difference in the miracles, the heart change that was needed in Jesus' closest followers, we need to know, it's really key, where exactly Jesus was at each one of these miracles. For the feeding of the 5,000, we know, if you go back and read, that Jesus was close to Galilee. We know that his audience would have been nearly all Jewish people. And if they were Jewish, as we've touched on before, they would have believed that they were part of God's chosen people. They would have been, that would have included the disciples. The disciples were of Jewish descent. And a major subplot of Jesus' time on earth, if you read about it, was the Jewish authorities opposing him. Him saying he's the Messiah and them saying, no, you're not. You're not what we expected. And this would have included those disciples. They were of Jewish descent. So when it says in Mark 6, which is feeding the 5,000, that Jesus had compassion on them, it's assumed, it's the assumed people of God that he is speaking to, the people who think they are God's people, they're going to heaven. In that crowd that day, though, was a large number of zealots, people opposed to the government that they were under, and they were looking for a rebel leader to come, lead an uprising, lead a bunch of violence. But what Jesus calls them in Mark chapter 6 is a sheep without a shepherd. And it's because they're zealous after the wrong thing. That's what he has compassion for in the story. It's interesting because in the feeding of the 5,000, they were actually close enough to towns that they could have been sent to find their own provision. They would have had to disperse. The gathering would have been over. It does say the area was remote. But they'd been there a day, one day, and they were getting hungry. They could have filtered away to their homes, to the towns, gotten what they needed. What it was was a large crowd of Jewish people looking for their coming Messiah. And that's what was happening with the five loaves and the two fish. However, the feeding of the 4,000 with the seven loaves and a few fish, it was a different kind of crowd. That's why the location matters. You see a little earlier in Mark, if you read earlier, we're told that Jesus and his disciples there in the region of the Decapolis, Galilee was home to mostly Jewish people. Decapolis would have been home largely to Gentiles. And you see, as far as the Jewish people were concerned, read the disciples, the Gentiles did not have the same place in the kingdom of God that they had. They were different kinds of people, not going to the same place. Earlier in Galilee, it was disciples who came to Jesus, right? And they let him know, hey, all of our countrymen are hungry. You've had them here one day. All of our friends are hungry. And Jesus had been teaching them because they were sheep without a shepherd, it says there. But here in Decapolis, what Jesus is up to 
is a little different. It says that he was teaching earlier in the feeding of the 5,000. But here in Decapolis, he's three days into healing the sick, casting demons out of the afflicted. Matthew's account, if you read it, tells us that they have been in this place for three days. And it is a remote enough place. This one's far enough away that Jesus is concerned. They won't make it back without collapsing from hunger. And this time, it's Jesus who brings up that they must be hungry. Jesus was about to demonstrate that the Jews and the Gentiles, they were equally worthy of the same grace and the same miracle. And here's where we see the disconnect between Jesus and the disciples. When it was the disciples' countrymen, people they knew and loved, they brought the need up within one day. Lord, it's been one day. Everyone is hungry. What can you do? But when it was the Gentiles, who they did not regard at this point to be on the same level as them, it had been three days and they had said nothing. What we see here, friends, what we're getting at is that the disciples could not easily see the needs of those who were not like them. They did not regard the Gentiles as God's people. So they did not consider that they deserved a Savior just the same way that they did. However, the language that is used in this uh, crowd of 4,000 in Mark 8, verse 2, is really strong. Where Jesus says, they have been with me for three days. What Jesus is saying is they have been pursuing him for three days. They don't just happen to be there. They've been going after Jesus for three days. Those that would be satisfied with the seven loaves and a few fish, they had been actively pursuing Jesus for three days. The disciples saw people that had unfamiliar problems. And Jesus saw people that needed the bread of life the same way that the Jewish people did. How often, friends, do we, including myself in the equation here, how often do we fail to identify with those who do not seem to share the same worldview that we do? And I think it can manifest, in a, manifest itself in a couple different ways in church. A couple of those would be, well, yes, of course I know. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Of course we all are. But I don't struggle with that kind of sin. Well, yes, I need grace, but I do not struggle the same way that so-and-so struggles. Or maybe it actually is the opposite, and I absolutely have seen this. Man, these church people... Yeah they're, yeah, they're good people, but these church people, they have no idea what I've been through. They have no ideas, the battles that I fight every day. They talk about how God answers their prayers, but they don't have any issues close to what I have. You see, church, like the disciples, we sometimes have trouble identifying with people who are not like us. I'm so thankful, though, uh, that even when we struggle to understand what others may need, Jesus, he's always willing to use us to accomplish his purpose. So grateful for that. No matter my misunderstanding of what may be going on, when we are disciples of Christ, when we are following, following him around like the 12 did, we just might get the chance to be the vehicle of someone else's miracle, even if we don't get it. You may recall that at the, the feeding of the 5,000, one of the things Jesus does is he commissions the disciples to find out how much food is in the crowd. That's how we know that about the five loaves and the two fish. That's how we know what Jesus had to work with. Because he tells them, go and find out. Well, even though the disciples, they do not uh, seem to have grasped exactly how this can be done, here where they are in the Decapolis, Jesus gives them another chance to participate in the miracle. That's how we know that there was seven loaves and a few fish. He, Jesus sent them to find out what he had to work with. 
just as he prayed over the food to hand it out the first time around, the feeding of the 5,000, they get another chance here to be a part of the miracle and hand the food out. Jesus prays over it, and he hands it to them, and he has them pass it out. Man, such is the compassion of Jesus, that even though his best friends did not understand that even these people deserved the same grace that they did, they got to be a part of the miracle anyway. Even though they did not get it, Jesus still allowed them to be part of the miracle. And what Jesus is teaching his disciples in this moment with the seven loaves and just a few fish is this, and I think it's what we need to know today, friends, is that every created person is able to partake in the bread of life, everyone. It was not just about the physical need provided for, but embracing the idea that everyone, Jew, Gentile, everyone in between, they could find salvation in the Son of God. Jesus' closest friends didn't get it at first. We see second in this passage that Jesus always brings the answer, but it's not always the same as before. You know, I feel like it would be really nice if it was a little more simple sometimes. Of course, I know this, right? I preach about it and I pray about it all the time that God hears every prayer we pray and that he always answers. That is 100% true. Believe that with all my heart. But I also know that it is up to God how it looks when we pray and he answers. Sometimes, and I love it when this happens, it's exactly like or really close to what I have asked. Man, those are incredible times. Chandra and I have prayed for specific things to happen and the things have happened with the same language we used when we prayed. It's awesome when that happens. Sometimes uh, the answer comes in a way that I never, ever imagined. But the answer is better than the one I could have imagined. Sometimes the answer is this word I really don't like, and it is no. (laughs) A part of me really wishes that sometimes it would be nice, sometimes, if we could just pray a certain way, say a set of words, and then we know that a certain answer comes. If I say this, then I get this thing. The problem is that If that was the way that it worked, it would put me in control and not God. That was the way it worked. I could say my set of words, and God has to do what I said. I'm in control. And on the other side of it, it would remove much of the faith element. If I just had to say the words just right, and it all depended on me, there there would not be much faith involved. And that's why we have what we see in this account of the feeding of the 4,000. I think I have this on the screen. God always brings provision, but the provision is not always the same. Uh, Look with me once more at verses 4 through 10 of Mark chapter 8. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Damuntha. What we've seen here is more of the differences between the first miraculous provision in Mark 6 and the miraculous provision in this one. And I believe we first see in this short section that it is easy to forget God's previous provision when we're in the moment. Right? It is easy to forget the prayer that God answered for you before when you feel like you're up to your elbows and alligators, as they say. 
The disciples right here in this situation, they're focused on the nuts and bolts, the ones and zeros, on the need right in front of them. Listen, Jesus, there are 4,000 people here, and they are nowhere near a place where they could get enough to feed them. Yeah, Lord, I'm glad you brought that up, but if you haven't noticed, we're not very close to any towns. Somehow, some way, the disciples, or at least some of them, they have forgotten that they have been in this same situation before. I don't know how, but they forgot, or they were not bringing it up. Maybe it was because before it was not as dire, because they were closer to civilization, so it would have been easier to find the solution. Maybe they were more comfortable the first time because it was mostly Jewish people instead of Gentiles. Maybe we'll get to ask the disciples when we get there, if we get there and we care, hey, how did you forget about the first time? If there isn't any mention of the previous miracle in here. We can here give the disciples credit for not treating Jesus like a vending machine. Because we do that in faith sometimes. uh, You know, they just decide, well, he's here, I'll push these buttons and I get what I want. But it seems they've gone too far the other way. It really does seem impossible that they have forgotten what Jesus did when he fed the 5,000. But how often, friends, do we do the same thing? We pray when we are young, many of you have probably done this, that God would bring you, bring us the right spouse. But the next time we have a relationship problem, we don't remember the answer that sits right next to us and our wife or our husband. We pray, Lord, bring me to the right spouse, and we marry them, and it's wonderful. It's the person God made for us. Then we're having trouble in our family, and we forget that God answered that prayer for us once before. We ask God, friends, for provision in our finances, and then we start thinking, I asked the Lord for provision, but I better start making some rash decisions. And we don't remember the times that he answered that prayer or recognize the four walls that he's provided around us. Yeah, the car might not be as nice as we hope, but it runs and gets us from point A to point B. Because provision always comes, even if sometimes it looks different. And I wonder, though, if the disciples, they had to have, right? I wonder if they didn't start to realize really quickly what was happening. They're in the situation. They're out in the wilderness. There's 4,000 people out here that they're not comfortable with. And maybe when Jesus looks at them and he asks the question, how many loaves do you have? Maybe that's the time when they realize, oh, I think we've been here before. Maybe, friends, when we forget what God has done before, and I keep saying we because I'm including myself, when we forget what God has done before, if we are listening, God may be asking some of us, Hey, John, how many loaves do you have? Hey, you listen. Hey, John, what do you have that we can work with here? Well, I know, listen, son, that you feel like you are between a rock and a hard place, but how many loaves do you have? What do you have to work with? What can you bring me? God may be asking us, what can you bring me with an open hand that I can begin the miracle through? Verse 6, Jesus, he has the crowd just be seated on the ground right where they are. Like I said, they have to have remembered by now defeating the 5,000. And I wonder if the more organized among them were thinking or saying, because if you remember in the feeding of the 5,000, he has the disciples break them up into groups. And I wonder if the more organized among them were thinking, listen, last time we broke them up into groups. We didn't just sit them down on the ground. This is never going to work. This is just going to be chaos. All the people are going to be all over the place. There's too many people here to be doing this. We need a spreadsheet. 
Does anybody have a laptop where I can type all of this in and get everyone in the right spot? That we do our best to prepare for what God wants to do in our lives. But sometimes, friends, God has a plan that is better than ours. Something I think that's really notable here, something that helps us to know just how different this crowd is, is that what Jesus does in, in verses 6 and 7 before he hands the bread and the fish to the disciples to distribute. It's a really small thing, but it's a big deal. The feeding of the 5,000, he blesses the food in the customary Jewish way. If you look back at Mark 6, it's going to say something like Jesus was looking up to heaven and he gave thanks. That's why he gave thanks in the Jewish culture. But with this crowd of Gentiles here, Jesus blesses the meal in just a traditional Gentile Christian way. He goes away from the Jewish tradition and he j it just simply says here that he gave thanks and he handed it out. He didn't go through the rigmarole the Jewish people went through. It's a small difference, but it tells us that he and the disciples, uh, tells us and the disciples that this is an entirely different situation than the first time around. And we know already from talking about the location earlier that these people, they have a greater physical need than the people at the feeding of the 5,000 did. They're farther out, been there longer. But Jesus also identifies with their spiritual need, even in the way he blesses this miraculous meal. In verse 8, we see something that I believe really extends to our lives today. And that's this. The provision of Jesus always spills over to the other parts of our lives. It says right there that the people ate and were satisfied. But it also says that the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of pieces that were left over. By the way, one more, word, one more difference between this miracle and the earlier one in Mark 6, one way we know they're different is that the Greek word that's used for basket is different. It was a different culture they were in. It was a whole different kind of basket. And Jesus has provided for the Gentiles that are gathered there. But as the disciples pick up the extra, they have to be shaking their head. Right? They have to be thinking, man, there was only seven loaves and a couple fish here. He did the same thing again. We didn't even put him in groups, and he still did the same thing. By the way, that word that is for fish there usually means, it means the one that's used here in, in, uh, in this in the feeding of 4,000, this word for fish means a much smaller fish than the one in Mark. Uh, the, the word for fish right here means something like sardines, little tiny ones you would put on like a sandwich, whereas earlier it was bigger fish. And this principle, friends, that I think is awesome, that the provision always spills over. It exists both times in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Here's what we need to understand out of this is that when God answers a specific prayer that we pray, that answer, it powerfully moves in other parts of our lives. You see, when we receive physical healing, someone prays for us, we receive physical healing, the benefit is not just for us, but it's for those that we are with each day. Because when we are healed physically, we ask God for healing and he heals us and we give him the glory for it. It testifies of God's goodness all the time. It lets someone else know that's going through a hard situation, hey, the Lord healed that person and the Lord could heal me. When a financial need is taken care of, and who among us, friends, has not prayed for God to help us take care of a financial need? We may have prayed individually, just us. Man, I do not want my family to know that um, I'm struggling, that we might not be able to make ends meet. When we pray that prayer and God blesses our family, uh, our family is able to testify as well.
And by the way, friends, when we have financial needs and we pray, sometimes God, uh, the answer he sends, this is one of those ways where it looks different than we think. God, sometimes he won't send a check, but he'll send another job or some more work. When we pray, friends, and our broken heart begins to heal. And the provision spills over in how we relate to those people that we love. The provision spills over when the fruits of the Spirit begin to become more evident in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. They spill over to the ones that we love the most. To us, it might just seem like seven loaves and a few fish. But the blessing, it continues beyond what we see at first. It says in verse 9 that about 4,000 people were there. And the language here, the Greek word, makes us think that there actually were 4,000 people here. One of the big trivia questions we always talk about in the Bible, right, is with the feeding of the 5,000, it says specifically it was 5,000 men. And that number that they counted would not have included women and children. Just one more detail that helps us know, hey, Jesus was doing something different here with the Gentiles than he was with the Jewish people earlier. And the big key here is what it says in verse 8, that the people ate and were satisfied. The reason that it's such a big key is because it's a direct answer to the question the disciples asked in verse 4. Verse 4, if you look in your Bibles, the disciples say, where in the remote, this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Verse 8 says the people ate and were satisfied. And in fact, the same Greek word is used in both verse 4 and verse 8. Jesus answers their question directly. What we're going to see in two weeks, friends, is that the disciples, they received an answer to the question they were asking, which was where and how can these people be satisfied? But their hearts were still not prepared for what Jesus was doing among the Gentiles and among the Jews. What they really needed to understand is that there are no people forsaken by God. But what they were focused on that day was the physical hunger in that moment. I believe what God is asking us to do, friends, is look beyond what we think that we know. To not decide, well, the seven, I've heard about the feeding of the 5,000, so the seven loaves, that must be the same as the five loaves. When we look beyond what we know, maybe we begin to identify with those that might be facing different struggles than us. Friends, I believe that God is going to give us the opportunity to do this tonight. Every person deserves grace from Jesus. Friends, I just want to prepare you for the fact you were going to come here tonight. Um, There's going to be a lot of people coming through here. You are probably going to see a costume you do not agree with. Someone's going to come and they're going to have a scary bloody costume. And you know why? Because that's what they know how to do. Someone's going to come and they probably are going to have some sort of spiritual costume thing that we do not agree with. But I believe that God is going to give us the opportunity tonight to identify with people that we don't understand. And friends, when we identify with people, when we extend the grace of Jesus towards them, uh, God begins to do something that only he can do. And in our own lives, friends, when we ask this question, because I certainly have asked it before, um, Lord, how will this need be satisfied? Seems like a really big thing. Uh, you know, I've, I've 
done some big stuff before, Lord, but I don't know about this one. How will this need be satisfied? I believe what God will, is asking us to do this morning is just simply to understand that God can bring the answer any way he wishes. He can bring it with big fish. He can bring it with small fish. He can bring it with five loaves or seven loaves or however he sees fit. He can use any method he wishes. But when God answers the prayer, friends, the blessing will be abundant when the answer comes. And if you've been praying, man, Imani testified earlier, the answer is coming. It might not look how you expect it to look. And to be honest, I didn't write this message knowing exactly what he was going to say. But I guarantee you, when Imani prayed that prayer, uh, asking that God would be with him when they came to Boise, Idaho, that uh, I guarantee you he did not think the abundant blessing meant living in a trailer in the church parking lot for a month. 100% certain of that. But here he is testifying of God's grace because the answer doesn't always look how we think it's going to look. Would you stand with us uh, this morning? Uh, Pastor Joey and the band are going to just lead us as we sing this song of surrender. Um, Let's just worship together as we prepare to close today. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.